Well, I have a suggestion. Um, my suggestion is a cultural, global suggestion, so I don't really know who to offer the suggestion to, and I don't know who the powers uh, are that I would need to get the suggestion in front of, but I have a suggestion. Just a suggestion. I suggest that we get all of the heads, decision makers, of every media outlet in the world in one room. Whether it's still print media or whether it's broadcast media or whether it's digital media only, like all news outlets, let's get them all in one room. And here's the strategy. We are going to ask Lachelle Stapleton to read to them The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Because when everything is breaking news that's going to change the world for forever, then nothing seems like breaking news, right? When literally the headlines of the day have changed 30 times between when you got up and when you went to bed. Is it all actually breaking news? Like every headline might as well be wolf sighting yet again. Just kidding. I was confronted with the reality of how fast and rapid the news cycle changes uh, when I was in a room of pastors recently with Ed Stetzer, a uh, brilliant man, but he asked us, he said, hey, do you remember what was going on in the winter of 2020? And he asked for some suggestions and not many eloquent things were offered. We're like, no, it's kind of not where our mind goes in 2020. And Maybe this morning you walked in and you were like, Doug, I came to church discouraged this morning and you just said 2020 and we had an agreement. We wouldn't ever say those numbers together ever again. But the reality is there was a whole lot going in the world that was breaking news in 2020 before we got to March. As a matter of fact, when the calendar turned over in 2020, we were still smack dab in the global story of the wildfires burning in Australia. Dozens of people lost their lives, countless acres destroyed. It was a huge story. A lot of us have forgotten about that. January of 2020, uh, 16th, the 16th of January, uh, the first impeachment trial of President Trump began in the Senate. By February 5th, he'd been acquitted. January 26th of 2020 uh, was the uh, tragic helicopter crash that cost the life of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and some of their friends. All of that was going on long before most of us had ever heard that there was a thing that was making people sick. January 31st of 2020, the United Kingdom formally withdrew from the European Union. You're like, yeah, but we're not British anymore. We don't care. No, that affected the whole global market. It was a big deal. It was global news. On February 27th, we had a historic... Stock market crash, almost a 1,200-point decline of the Dow Jones, and that was at that time the single largest loss in a day. Unfortunately, that did not stay that historical statistic for very long. In February 29th of 2020, it was a leap year, I didn't remember that, I don't know if you remember that, but that was also therefore newsworthy, February 29th of 2020, uh, is is when the conditional peace agreement was signed between the U.S. and the Taliban, beginning the withdrawal of combat troops from Afghanistan. It was not until we reached March 11th of 2020 that the World Health Organization officially declared the outbreak of COVID-19 as a global 
I whispered. Does that make it less triggery for us today? And I'd only say that to say we have forgotten most of those other headlining news things because that's how the news just rolls. It just comes and goes. But here's what I want to say this morning. There's one piece of news that yesterday, today, and forever still shapes the world. There's one piece of news that's still headlining, that's still trending, and it's this. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news. Changes everything. It never grows old. It's never outdated. That's the news in which the whole world revolves around. We can't improve on that news. Last week we talked about this idea that if we do some uh, diagramming of this verse, we see that God is the subject and that there's two verbs. It's that he loved and he gave because true love always gives. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. God sacrificially loves. That's the definition of love. Let's circle back and do one more little, very brief piece of grammar. And I want to ask you, what part of speech is the world in this sentence? It's the direct object. Grammar can preach, man. The direct object of the sacrificial love of God is the world, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people, everywhere. God sacrificially loves the world. That's the news. That never grows old. It's the good news. God loved the world and he gave. And because God sacrificially loves the world... Again, enough that he would give, right? So it's not just an emotional, not just a feeling. He loves the world so much that, that he would give. That Here's how much it changes lives. That when we believe in him, we would go from perishing to not being meh, being okay. I'm not perishing anymore, so that's good enough. No, we literally go from the trajectory of perishing To life that can never be taken from us. Like full human flourishing, indestructible, unending, eternal life. How's that for life change? From perishing to unstoppable life. That's what God gave his son in order to give us who would believe in him. The language that we've adopted here to describe that at this church and what our role is at in the story of the world is that we exist for this, guiding people to life change in Jesus. That's our mission. Say what people? All of them. (laughs) Everybody, everywhere. Anybody who qualifies as the world. I do not believe that we are supposed to guide people on another planet into life change with Jesus because I don't know how to do that. But for everybody else, we want to be available to God to say, how can we play a part in the story? Life change in Jesus. And the way that fleshes out here in our context, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, we talked about that last week, and we'll mention it again next week. 
But we guide one another to life change in Jesus, first of all, as we know God intimately. As we know God, first, in an introduction, we come to believe in him, but that we continue in, to grow in the knowledge of God. And the more that we know God, the more we realize how little we know of him. <laughs> and the more hungry we are to know him in a, in a more intimate way. And the more we know of God intimately, the more we will love God passionately. Because you cannot begin to know him and not grow to love him. And as we get, love God more passionately and as it takes more territory of our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength, it keeps taking ground in our affections, then the natural outflow of the more I know God intimately and the more I love God passionately, the more I will share God intentionally. Because if, if he is who he claims to be, I cannot help but love him. And I'm going to believe that other people need to know the same. It naturally flows. And thank God we're not called to do that alone. Because that context is that we connect with each other authentically. We connect with each other in this thing of knowing God more and loving God more and sharing God more. And he just keeps inviting us into more because he's the God of more. I grew up. Really clear about all the things God didn't want us to do. <laughs> We're trying to be really clear about how much he's offering us in himself. This is not the religion of less. He's inviting us into more of himself. And we do that in the context of connecting with each other. Our focus for these next several weeks is going to be around the idea of sharing God. And this morning we want to talk about sharing God with who? The direct object of the sacrificial love of God. The world. As we talk about sharing the love of God with the world, we're going to look at a text that just excites me this morning. So please grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we're going to invite you to join our tradition as we hold up our Bibles and say a creed before we dive in together today. So let's hold up our Bibles and let's say this with some passion this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, an incredible chapter in the Word of God. Uh, if you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'd encourage you to make that part of your reading this week. It's just kind of linger in that text. Uh, it celebrates the resurrection of Jesus and what the implications are of that for us this morning, we're only going to look at the first four verses of this incredible chapter, and we're really going to just focus on, eventually, on one phrase. It's page 903, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 together first. The Apostle Paul, again, he's, he's talking to a church. This is important to remember. This is a letter. This, this isn't... Um, it's part of the Bible today, and so we're like, this is our religious book. Now, this was a personal letter uh, through the authority of the Holy Spirit written to a local congregation. Back then, people seldom, if ever, visited church to find out about the Christian faith. This letter is written to people who've already given their life to Jesus. That's important context when we read this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? Paul David Tripp says we all suffer from gospel amnesia. 
We are all prone to forgetfulness. As a matter of fact, something in our flesh is actually hardwired towards flesh performance. The opposite of gospel dependence. It's not just that we forget, it's that we are wired away from the gospel. Which means we all need to be reminded of the gospel. Consistently, constantly. And so I would remind you of something I've said a whole lot of times from this stage. Tim Keller said the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A through Z of the Christian life. We never grow beyond the gospel. We only grow deeper in our understanding of the implications of it. In my language, we never actually graduate from gospel kindergarten. We're all just growing to understand how glorious the gospel of Jesus Christ is. How good the good news is. And here's the glory and power of this gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, I mean, unless this was like a fake thing, unless we're playing religious here, unless you believed in vain. The gospel of Jesus Christ, if, if it has saved you, then there was a moment in your life that the gospel was preached to you, that you received the gospel, that you are now building your life on. You are standing on the gospel, and it is the gospel that both saved us and saves us. Both in a moment, already right with Jesus and declared righteous, and not yet made fully righteous, it is saving us. It's the gospel. It's everything. It's the gospel. We never grow beyond that. We just grow deeper in it. It's what was preached to us. It's what we received. Well, I would ask you, is it what was preached to you? Is it what you've received? Is it what you're standing on? And is it the thing that's saving you today? Is it the gospel? Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance, because if it's true, it has to be nothing less than first importance. What I also received, and here's the gospel. You're like, what's the gospel? What does that mean? What is this good news? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was physically, bodily, for real buried, and that he raised on the third Day in accordance with the scriptures, and then this really long chapter just expounds upon the believability and the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. That's what was preached to us, that's what we've received, and that alone is what we stand on, and that alone is what is saving us. What we do not stand on is a denomination or our parents' faith or some religious activity or some religious nationalism. What we stand on is nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is of first importance. Nothing else can save us. Nothing else is worth standing on. It's the gospel. That he died for our sins. This is the whole gospel narrative in, in just a couple of verses here. We talk... Here we use the language of our reality, 
our rescue and our response. The, the reality is that he died for our sins because all of us are sinners. That's just reality. It might not be politically correct, but it is real. It is just real that none of us are as perfect as God, which would be really bad news if it weren't for the rest of the good news. Our rescue is that Christ died for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. And it doesn't end there. He's risen from the dead that we might respond and call out for the rescue of grace. Put our faith in the gospel that was preached to us. We receive it. We stand on it. We're being saved by it. We on the same page this morning? Here's what Pastor Eric Overton says about this text. This is the rubric for the hope of the world. Can we just linger in that for just a minute? That's a, that's a grand statement. Here is the rubric. You ready? For the hope of the world. You ready? You ready? Here it is. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That's how the world has hope. That what we have received, we will pass on to someone else. Listen to me. That what was delivered to us might be delivered through us is the hope of the world. Because what was delivered to us was not just for us. We've made the, the Bible and the gospel so individual. As, as Westerners, we just love being the center of every story. And, and I think it's even a healthy thing. I remember as a, as a young kid hearing people say, listen, take the words, the world out of John 3.16 and insert your name. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? So God so loved Fred that he gave his only son. And that is true in part. God does love you as though you were the only person he ever created, but you're not. <laughs> so it's okay to be like, I want to make sure that I understand that God didn't love me because he had to love the world. No, God chose to love you as though you were his favorite kid. All of that's true. But can we just be real for a minute? If that's where our theology starts and ends, we don't understand the gospel. God does love you and God loves the world and he intends to get the message of his love to the world through the people who've received the message that he loved them. It is that simple. Like we've got people with PhDs who are talking about how do we reach the nations and how do we get the gospel around the world? And at the end of the day, those conversations are important and they're needed, but sometimes they're just way too complicated. The reality is what was delivered to us is meant to be delivered through us. That is our calling. We cannot say we believe the gospel if we hoard it. We cannot say we believe the gospel if we come here and sing songs and are warmed by the fire of God's love for us and then go out and live completely self-oriented lives. That is not an understanding of the gospel. God loved the world and he still does. With today's technology and today's advancement, we live in such a glorious opportunity to actually be a part of the gospel going to places it's never been before. 
And we live in a country where there's a, a church on every corner with really expensive campuses and glorious buildings and LED walls and all the fancy fancy. And here's the deal, man. Like, we don't need to enjoy this so much that we forget it's not just for us. The rubric for the hope of the world is that what was delivered to us would be passed on to somebody else. That it would be delivered through us. This word delivered here, the gospel says, I delivered to you, is also translated in other scriptures as entrusted. Think of the concept of stewardship. We talked last week about God's expectations that we would steward every dollar. Well, at the end of the day, he calls us to steward the gospel story. That we steward the best news that's ever been told. He's entrusted that story to our hearts. That what would be delivered to us would be delivered through us. There's a piece of me, and don't get too excited because I'm not. There's a piece of me that just wants to end the sermon here. Fixing to have a breakout of speaking in tongues in the Baptist church in a minute. Because I just don't want to lose the simplicity of this. But I'm not going to end here because I do think we need to park on it. This idea that, that what's been entrusted to me is to be stewarded, to be passed on through me. That same word delivered is used in another important text for us that I think is necessary for us in this cultural context. In the third verse of the short little letter called Jude. We read this language Beloved, I, although I was eager, very eager, to write to you about a common salvation, I found it necessary to write. So you get the, the tension there. I think if we put that in modern language, you'd be like, dude, I just wanted to celebrate this, but I need, we need to talk real for a minute. Right? That's the, the Doug translation of this. Be like, bro, I just wanted to be like rah-rah, but let's talk real for a minute. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered, there's that word again, to the saints. That word contend is only used one time in the whole New Testament, and it's, it's where we get the English word agonize. That we would agonize for the sake of the faith that's been delivered once for all to the saints. That we would Break a sweat in the stewardship of our gospel message. To where it would even hurt. Agonize. And and the reason that this is being written in this cultural moment and in this context here in the letter of Jude. Is because the message of the gospel was under profound attack. We have the privilege now of looking backwards At this moment in history, and from a historical perspective, this could have been the end. There was tremendous effort, I believe, in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. Politically, economically, logistically, there was profound effort to stop the delivering through of what had been delivered to. Profound effort. Those who had been delivered the gospel are fleeing for their lives. And what Jude says is this is not a moment in the cultural 
story to grow quiet about what's been delivered to you. This is a moment to contend. And what he did not mean is, let's go fight and be belligerent and flip tables and be ignorant. No, 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 no. Let's just dig our heels in as though we actually believe this is of first importance. Again, he's saying in this cultural moment, there are people who've heard our words who are looking to see if this actually matters to us. Will we contend? So I told you that that word delivered being used here. It's used 120 times in, in the New Testament. It's also translated in other places, handed down. Think of an inheritance. Think of like a legacy. That the, the message of the gospel, that's our true inheritance in our generation. That we would contend for to make sure that we are leaving an inheritance for the generations to come. Come on, somebody. Like that, that is, that's a picture that demands a response. <laughs> That, that we would so treasure the inheritance of the gospel that we would steward it well and we would break a sweat in its effort so that it can be passed on to the generation to come. Which generation? The global generation. The direct object. The world. This is not just a, a biblical legacy. This is not just a historical legacy. Listen, all of you who call this your church home. This is our local church's legacy, that it has fallen to us in this hour to also steward our inheritance as well. When this church was founded in 1945, it was founded not because a pastor wanted to plant a church. It was founded because Mr. and Mrs. Uslet Davis had a burden for East Fort Worth. Neither of them were pastors, but they had a burden that they would steward well and contend for the gospel in their generation. What they did have was an empty lot and they threw a tent up on it and said, let's ask somebody to come preach the gospel. And from the very beginning, this church has had in its original DNA that we have a heart for the nations. We have a heart for the whole world. We don't want to hoard the good news. We don't just want to enjoy the gospel. We want it to go through us to the nations. That is our inheritance. There is, I believe there's evidence that the hand of God has rested on this ministry because this ministry has existed for more than just our consumption of the gospel. God honors that. I've told you this before. Uh, Our pastor in Atlanta used to always say, he, he is a simple dude from the hills of East Tennessee and has the most awesome accent. And he would always say, I'm not the trendiest guy. I don't read all the books. I don't go to all the conferences. I've just figured if we keep the Great Commission our thing, then God kind of has to bless that, right? A couple weeks ago, I was at a conference in California, um, and I met a new friend named Joe. He's a pastor. He's a church planter in Ohio, a little town called Lebanon, Ohio. And he's telling me the story of planning this church. They 
started out in the living room and then we're in a little rented facility and then here and then there. And he talked about their first actual church building, this historic building. It's literally a registered historical landmark in Lebanon, Ohio. And he said, but I got to tell you the story about what historically has been known as East Baptist Church. As a dude who's called to live in East Fort Worth, I'm like, oh, that's a cool name. Tell me more about this story. This church was founded in 1797. And I'm like, I thought 1945 was cool. That's older. 1797. This church founded in 1797, though, only made it to 1836 before they had their first church split. Now, that's a Baptist church. (laughs) It's not funny. Um, What's amazing is why they split and what happened next. I've actually read the minutes from the early 1830s of this debate that was growing in the church. I was fascinated by the story. I got online and found some historical records of this little church. Nothing I found says what the name of the church was originally. I'm not sure, but the church was actually in East Lebanon. Sorry. The church was actually in West Lebanon. Here's what they were fighting about. A part of the church... About a third of the church wanted their church to be involved in getting the gospel around the world. Wanted to partner with global missions organizations in addition to the local evangelism that they were doing in their homes and in their community. Two-thirds of the church was not interested in global missions. Defiantly not interested in global missions. So much so... That, again, in the minutes, it was very amicable. Who knows? Maybe they were calling each other names on whatever Facebook was in the 1830s. But at the time, very respectfully, they were like, I don't think we can keep doing church together. Because we don't think we can believe the gospel if it's not for everybody. And so they decided to split. Here's the thing. The people who did not want to be a part of Global Missions kept the building. Changed the name to West Baptist Church. The people who believed in the mission... Left with no building, no location, had to go secure a new thing. Went to the east side of town and they established East Baptist Church. Here's the thing about West Baptist Church. Eight years later, they closed their doors. See, a a gospel that is not a global gospel is not the gospel at all. Eight years, less than a decade, this church closed its doors. Let me tell you about East Baptist Church, founded in 1836. It is the church that a handful of years ago was still in existence and partnered with my buddy Joe and said, we want this facility to be vibrant. We want a young church to come in and take this facility over and see what the next chapter of it is. This little church plant is meeting in this church that drew a line in the sand in 1836 and said, we believe that the gospel is a global gospel. We believe that what was delivered to us must be delivered through us. Isn't that incredible? By the way, Joe outgrew that facility, so it's now a different church, and they bought something else. He's not in that little historic church anymore. But you can go to Lebanon, Ohio, and you can see it. I looked at pictures online. It's a very cute little building. What a fascinating story. In this cultural moment, I think it it falls to us to say, will we contend? Will we steward the legacy that's been handed down to us? One of the, the moments at that pastor's conference is we got 
to have a kind of a private conversation with a guy named Ed Stetzer. Brilliant, brilliant man. Brilliant man. But he said something really not brilliant. It was just nice and simple. He simply said this. This cultural moment has put the church on defense. When what the world really needs is a church on gospel offense. Now let me be, let me give some distinction. He does not mean be gospelly offensive. <laughs> right? That, that's not permission to be a bully with our faith. That's not what he means. He just means the culture has, seems to have knocked the American church on our back heels. In a moment when the church desperately needs us to be marching this story forward. I believe we can do so with kindness. But right now is a time for the church of Jesus Christ to say it's time to move forward. I've not seen a moment in my 46 years on planet earth where the message of the gospel has been received more poorly by our culture. But our responsibility to deliver what's been delivered doesn't depend on whether it's enjoyed or liked or affirmed. I've been rescued by the king of kings. I don't need anybody's permission to share that story. Right? Now is not the day to grow quiet, church. I I have grown to really, really love the city of Fort Worth. We're not from here. We've been here 15 years next month. Out of curiosity, how many of you are native Texans? Raise your hand. Like you were, wow, that's awesome. This has become such a transient city. How many of you are from this area, like greater Fort Worth? Less of you. Okay, so a lot of you. Awesome. Man, we, I can't say that we're from here, but we sure to get here quick and we don't plan to go anywhere. We really came here thinking it'd be a stepping stone and now my mom's here. We can't leave. She's like, straight. Okay. Don't cuss in church, mom. So I have grown to love Fort Worth. One of the things I think is cool is this city has such an awesome history that we kind of can't just be captured by one name. We've got some pretty awesome nicknames, too. The history behind the nickname Cowtown is incredible. The nickname as Where the West Begins. The nickname Funky Town, which is a little too Austin for me. i got to be honest. Like, Let's clarify what we mean by Funky Town. We don't mean that weird. Okay. But my favorite nickname for this city is Panther City. And the reason I love that nickname is because it shows the personality of Fort Worth that we've grown to love and decided to raise our kids here and stay. It shows a healthy resilience. It, I did a little straw poll a few weeks ago and asked a bunch of you who've lived here a lot longer than me, do you know why Fort Worth is called Panther City? I asked a lot of you, some of you who are more years older than I by lots of numbers. And I only got two yeses that, that they were confident they knew the story of where Panther City came from. And here's the reality. 
We aren't completely sure, but there's two main theories of exactly where the, the legend of Panther City came from. And it's just so Fort Worth. So the story is this. A, a guy by the name of Robert Cowart, not Coward, Cowart, but whatever, lived briefly in Fort Worth and then chose to move to Dallas. Like, and went into law. So you left Fort Worth and chose to became to become a Dallas attorney. Come on, man. And he was not very fond of Fort Worth. And so the legend is that he wrote to the editor of the Dallas Herald and said, I was in Fort Worth last week and it is such a sleepy city that there was a panther asleep in the middle of Main Street. Now, there's, there's more to that story. 149 years ago this month, February of uh, 1875, a Baptist preacher was preaching to his frustratingly sleepy congregation, true story, and was trying to wake up their sleepiness and literally said, this place is so sleepy I've seen the outline in the dust of the street outside of where a panther was asleep who must have been a part of this congregation. So maybe Robert Cowart was at church that day. But So I just love that maybe the origin story was a Baptist preacher embellishing a sermon illustration. But regardless of exactly where Robert Cowart got this thing from, what I love about the personality of Fort Worth is Fort Worth's response to something in the Dallas Herald about being such a sleepy city that a panther could sleep in the streets was, okay, we're going to build statues of panthers. Very quickly, the city adopted two panther cubs as our official mascots. There's now panthers engraved on our bridges. Our city police badges have a panther on them. We've branded Panther Island. We've got the panthers and the cats as baseball teams. Bring it. Like, literally, what was meant to be offensive didn't stop us or hurt our feelings. We were like, okay, we're just going to move forward with it. I love that. And I've adopted this city as my home. But I've been adopted by another city that has the exact same mentality. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And here's the thing about Antioch. It was New York City. It was a melting pot. It was a very eclectic cultural place. So everybody got a nickname. They were not picking on Christians. Maybe you've heard growing up that this was meant to be really unkind. And it might have been, but probably not. They were just trying to find labels for all these pockets of different people groups. And these people who wouldn't stop talking about this Jesus from Nazareth, and they called him the Christ. They called him Christians. Before that, Christians never called themselves Christians. Followers of the way, disciples, saints. We saw saints in Jude's text. Believers. The word Christians actually only used a handful of times in the whole New Testament. It's what everybody calls us now, including people who don't actually believe in Jesus. It's like an American birthright. I could call myself a Christian even if I don't believe in the biblical Jesus. That's another sermon for another time. It was not meant to be a respectful term. 
Maybe you've heard it's meant to mean like little Christ, which is not a great translation, but I get the sentiment of it. It actually means uh, belonging to the party of. Like belonging to the club of the Christ followers. And the followers of Jesus were like, okay, Panther City it is. Isn't that awesome? And now the whole world is familiar with the term Christian. Like this is a moment in history for some fresh gospel resilience. The world said mean things about us. Okay. <laughs> Next. Like, why are we being quiet? Why are we getting our feelings here about everything? They need to see somebody who believes so much in what they say they believe in that they're like, okay, we'll make new badges. <laughs> it's that's went on to say, guys, here's the deal. If we actually believe this, we're already canceled. Let's just live for Jesus. What's the big deal? The hope that your neighbor would know that God so loved them that he gave his only son is that you would tell them. The hope that our kids will know that God loved them and gave his son for them is not that temple kids would teach them or that temple Christian school would teach them. It's that mom and dad would tell them. The hope that your extended family would know that this story is so true, it literally changes the trajectory of your life. Like radically, like from perishing to living kind of change. The hope of them knowing that is not that they would log on and watch whoever. It's that they would know you. <laughs> they're, they're related to you and you should tell them. I think we've grown so timid in, in, in a time when it's so desperate for some courage. And so I wish we could just yeehaw about the gospel, but I feel it necessary to appeal to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to you. That what has been delivered to us must be delivered through us to the world. And we're going to talk more about the the close-up implications of that in the next couple of weeks. This morning, our, our focus is the world. The, the broader picture of contending for the faith and advancing the true Christian message, <laughs> the gospel. So he, here's how you can get involved in that. I want to give a couple very practical ways that you can get involved this morning. Three big ideas. And here's the first one. There was a card in your seat. I'm asking you, please don't fill that card out and please don't scan that QR code. If you already have, uh, then you don't get brownie points for doing it early. We're asking again not to fill that out today. We're actually going to uh, begin this process next Sunday because we're asking that you take a week. Talk with your spouse about this. We hope that you have shared finances. Uh, if not, let's talk. Um, and pray together about what God would have you do for the next year. Our fiscal year here at Temple for Global Missions runs from March through February. Our operating budget runs January to December, but our missions budget every February we ask, what is God calling us to do for the next year? Now again, we talked about this last week, but we don't believe this is your tithes. We talked last week about tithes and offerings. What we believe is, God bless you. 
that this would be our first offering above the tithes, would be to global missions. Let me tell you a couple things about anything that's given to this. Every penny of it goes to our missions partners. There's no overhead fee or like utility bill portion of this or whatever. Like we don't skim up. Like a lot of your nonprofit dollars, you know, don't actually go to those causes. Every dollar is given to missions causes that's designated to this. Some people give every week. Some people give once a month. But it helps us know to be able to budget. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. And I know I mentioned this last week, but I just have to say this again. We've partnered with missionary partners all around the world, 50 missionaries or organizations around the world, that we've said we're going to partner with you monthly, like to put food on your table. Now, when God leads us, we'll also do special projects. That would be above that. But we've made a monthly commitment to them. And being able to to know that we can meet those needs is really important for us. And so we'd ask that you would pray. Um, Next week, we'll begin to collect those commitments Uh, so that we can have another year of that. I will park here and just kind of give a parenthesis to this one and just say, um, I mentioned this last week, we've not recovered in our missions giving since the pandemic. Um, Our tithes finally recovered after many moons. Uh, Praise God for that. But our missions giving still has not. And last year when the commitments were less than they had been, we've not even hit that budget. Um, if, if you look weekly online of our weekly accountability, you already would know that we are about $5,000 short of our commitments from last year, which was already a really reduced amount. And we've had other expenses. The reality is we're about $10,000 in the red for global giving for the last year. And so I would just say above that, if the Lord's blessed you and you're able to do a, a special fiscal year and gift to missions, um, that would be really helpful so that we could actually start off March uh, not in the negative in, in that. So that's what we would ask you to pray about over the next week. That's one way that you can get involved in delivering through you what has been delivered to you. Here's another very, very simple way. Come eat food. We've got a couple fundraising luncheons uh, to help our students go to the world, to go to Guatemala and experience exactly what John 3.16 looks like. Um, And a way you can do that is hang out after church, have a meal together. Uh, They're also asking for some supplies with that meal to keep the cost down as much as possible so that more money goes to the students. Uh, If you do this next week's uh, holiday weekend, just hang out after church. Let's break bread together or break tacos together. I don't know. What are we eating? I don't even know. Uh, Break something. Let's break something together. And let's hang out. And every time we do one of these meal things, it's like a blast anyhow. And we always meet new people. So um, please hang out with us. Um, If you are not able uh, to pay uh, to to be able to stay, come tell me and I will will buy your lunch. Because we would just love to hang out together. Uh, We think it's a healthy time as well. But for those of you who are able, this is just a practical way that you can help invest in what's been delivered to us. Being delivered through us. Here's a third way that you can get involved. For our adults, that's for our Temple Student Ministry, for our adults, I'm very pleased to announce this morning that for the first time since the pandemic, we are taking a group back to Nigeria to visit A Place of Hope Africa. Uh, This feels like it's been a very long time coming. But October 22nd through the 29th, uh, we will be going back to Nigeria. This will be a limited group. We can't take a ton just because the travel logistically is more complicated there. Um, We're still waiting on some finalized pricing, so we've not opened registration yet for that. 
but hopefully within the next couple days we'll be able to open up registration and have a final price um, and then tell you when our informational meeting will be soon. But this morning, we want to at least give you that date and let you know that this is a practical way that we can experience what was being delivered to us being delivered through us. If you're not familiar, a place of hope is an orphanage out of our church uh, in southeastern Nigeria, out in the middle of nowhere. It's very safe. If you read the headlines, again, the clickbait of today's media uh, would make Nigeria sound infinitely more dangerous than it actually is. I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you've got questions, just reach out. But more information will be coming soon. Here's where we'll end this morning. If the gospel has been preached to you, If you've received it, if you are standing on it, and if it is saving you, my question today is, is it advancing through you? The first question matters. Do you know for sure that you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're not sure you've had that moment where you responded in faith, we talked about our reality is that we've fallen short of God's glory, and our rescue is that Christ died for us, but our response Maybe is where some of you would say, I think I'm stuck there. I don't know that I've really responded to this. We'd love to talk to you. In just a moment, we're going to sing one last song about the power of the name of Jesus. And there's going to be some folks in the prayer room in the back. If you're worshiping with us online, you can text PrayFW to 94000. We'll set up a way to connect with you and have that conversation with you as well. If you have received that, then this morning the question would be, Are we in a fresh way surrendering ourselves to him to say, God, please continue to advance this through me?